Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, quick trigger warning. We do talk about abortion and miscarriage in this episode. There are some semi-graphic details we talk about, so if you're not feeling up to that or maybe you have personal experiences where that might be a little triggering, feel free to skip this episode or come back at a later time. We also have 300 and some other episodes that you can check out. Uh, I th- I don't remember the number I'm up to. Maybe 350 by now. I don't know. 340. There's a lot. There's a lot of them. I know not on all podcast platforms do they all load, but there really is a lot, a lot, a lot. Some podcast flat- platforms I'm finding are tapping me out at 300. We have more than 300. Yep, been doing this a long time. We're in our sixth year. So it will turn, the podcast will turn six in October. So you got to think it, it was uh, born, the first episode is 2017. So 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and now we're in 2022. So we are in the sixth year of the podcast. So for those of you sticking around, I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. Bye. Hey, everyone. Today I'm here with Becky. Becky is a second time podcast guest. I feel like we're getting them more and more, which really excites me because it's my favorite kind. I've said this and no offense against anybody who first time. I love you all too. But this is exciting because I'm like, I feel like we already know each other and we already have like a connection and it makes it more fun. Anyways, <laughs> Becky Mollenkamp is a feminist life coach who helps people Uh, learn harmful conditioning and redefine success on their own damn terms. I like the damn all up in there. Well, Becky, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. I, um, just, I have COVID (laughs) just so that everyone knows in case I do cough or, you know, sniffle a little, I just found out I have COVID, but feeling okay and happy to be here. Yeah. Um, you would not be the first that has come on either, uh, while they're having, while they have COVID because the symptoms are relatively mild or as they're healing from COVID. So people by now should just be like, you know, it sucks. And, and I know some people definitely have to avoid getting it at all costs. Um, but it's just running rampant everywhere. (laughs) It is, but I'm very glad to be here and talk about what I think is a really important issue always, but especially right now. Yes. So for, for people who may be living under a rock, um, it came out that the U S Supreme court is considering and and most likely will overturn Roe versus Wade in some form, what form that is still unknown. Um, but they're talking about letting it go back to the States. And this is why, and this is where the argument comes in. And this is where I get really irritated and pissed off Throwing it back to the states seems harmless, right, to most people because they are not aware 
of the laws that are already in place or what they're called trigger laws. As soon as Roe versus Wade is overturned and is thrown back to the states, these laws go into effect. Um, these trigger laws, some of them have been in the wings waiting for years, like years they've been waiting. And so um, we have, we're dealing with that, especially like in uh, um, more red states. Let's go with that. And uh, it is very limiting. People are like, oh, well, because, you know, people have all sorts kind of uh, feelings about this. Like they feel like a certain term limit or they feel like, you know, a certain thing should happen or when or whatever. Anyways, over 60% of Americans agree with it in some form, um, but it's gray, like when they think that cutoff is and what. However, I, I personally, and I know you don't feel like, hey, before viability, as far as I'm concerned, this is, it, it's clump cells living inside your body. Um, but uh, some of these laws, they make no exceptions at all, none, not even mom's life, not, you know, fetus dies in utero, nothing, not rape, not incest, not all the things people are like, there should be exceptions for these things. No, there are laws that will go into effect that don't. Um, these laws are very harmful and they can kill women uh, because abortions don't stop when abortions are legal. They just become more dangerous and unsafe for women. And so I, people need to realize is if it goes back to the states, it's going to vary pretty widely. And uh, some states are criminalizing if somebody goes out of state for an abortion. And mind you, not all women can afford that. Most women are a, a good portion. I shouldn't say most, a good portion of women that get abortions are living in poverty. And um, sorry, I'm going on a, a rant and then we'll get to your story. <laughs> And in our country, we do not um, provide the supports to women that we need to. We do not provide paid maternity leave. We do not provide affordable childcare. We do not provide universal health care. We do not, I, I could go on and on about the things we do not provide um, that would actually reduce the amount of abortions that happen in the United States, including uh, comprehensive sex education, which does not happen in most states. Many states is uh, abstinence-only sex education, which it does not work. I'm prime example of abstinence-only. <laughs> I guess I was 16 and pregnant. Trust me, it does not work to tell somebody just don't have sex. Um, so Becky, anyways, back to you. Uh, you have experiences with uh, abortion. And I'd love for you to share that with us. Yeah. Well, first, I'll just say that I am in one of those states with a trigger law. I'm in Missouri. And so next month, when more than likely, this ruling will come down from the Supreme Court, and it in theory goes back to the states. And there's also issues with that because the Republicans have already said they will, they are interested in creating a federal ban. So this idea of it going back to the states is not entirely true. It may be, but for only a short period of time if they get control of Senate and House in the fall. Um, <clears throat> but I live in Missouri where we have a trigger law that will go into effect in theory next month that will uh, ban abortion in the state. And there are no exceptions. It's a complete ban. So no exceptions for rape or incest. It is, um, it will make it a felony. So we're talking about criminally prosecuting people who need an abortion or perform an abortion. And uh, it 
doesn't make distinctions about what kind of abortion we're talking about, right? So it is not clear in the language, and this is the case in many places, whether this means a surgical abortion, a quote unquote medical abortion, and I have experiences on, of both of those, so I can talk about them both. And it also doesn't make any, it isn't clear whether that also just means something like plan B, which is really birth control. So then if it starts mm -hmm. to go down that slippery slope, then we could be talking about IUD, we could be talking about IVF, all sorts of things. So mm -hmm. part of the problem with these trigger laws is that they are so many of the laws in these states are not clear. Because as you said, there is no scientific, despite what your religious beliefs may or may not be, there is no scientific understanding of when life begins. That just doesn't exist. There are varying opinions on that. There is mm -hmm. no clarity about life. <laughs> yeah. um, the Bible says life begins at first breath. Yet religious folks would like to tell us that life begins before then, which is there certainly they should have that choice. And I should have the choice to decide when I believe life begins. Yes. So anyway, okay, so I just want to say because I live in a state where that is in fact the case. And also I've had an abortion in this state. I've had two abortions technically in the state. And one of those, actually I've had two abortions while living in the state. One of those I couldn't have in the state because of the laws that already exist in the state that so drastically limit abortion rights in Missouri. So even without the trigger laws that are coming in so many places, states have been working for years to just chip away at abortion rights. This has been going on a long time. I mean, I had my first abortion in 1993. So we're talking a very long time that this has yeah. been going on. And even then it was exceedingly difficult in Missouri. As of right now, there is only one abortion clinic in our entire state. It happens oh, to be no. in the city I live in. But if you lived in the other side of the city, the state in Kansas City, next to Kansas, where you it's very difficult to get an abortion, it could be it's very difficult. People don't realize, I think the rhetoric out there is that it's real easy, just go grab yourself an abortion for fun. Right. And the truth is, it's very difficult to even get an abortion and expensive. And, if you're in yes. if it's in a state where insurances do not cover an abortion and far more expensive when you look at the folks who very often are needing abortion because it is like you said there are so many societal and systemic factors that are at play on what what causes pregnancy and that the kinds of folks who are often needing abortions are people who don't have money to pay anything for an abortion so yeah. I, i'll tell you so i've i've written about this i have a, a story of two different abortions one when i was 17 in 1993 that i had to cross state lines to get that was what would be called a surgical abortion that was an abortion by quote unquote choice and then i had another abortion in 2015 that was what they call a medical abortion meaning that it was the exact same procedure in both cases the difference was in the first one it was because it was an unwanted pregnancy and i had to go to a clinic to have that happen mm -hmm. and the second time it was very much a wanted pregnancy that ended in a miscarriage that did not pass on its own and i had to resolve that medically same exact procedure in both cases and yet many people would look at those two procedures very differently mm -hmm. only because they are casting moral judgment on the procedure or on the choice or on the person even though the actual medical procedure because abortion is healthcare, the healthcare procedure itself exactly the same in both cases um, and my experience with them felt very different because of how we create stigma around abortion. Mm -hmm. So at 17, I was pregnant. I did not want to be pregnant. Yeah. Um, how I got pregnant to me is not an important part of the story because honestly, it's no one's business but mine what happened and why yeah. I was pregnant. 
what matters is that I needed an abortion. I was not ready, capable, <laughs> able to take care of a child. I was not someone who wanted to be pregnant. If I had had that, if I had completed that pregnancy, my life would be so radically different today. And I know that because there are studies that have shown what happens to girls and women who are not allowed to get abortions that they want. And their outcomes, mental health, financial, physical health are not good. And I know that would have been the case for me because I was not ready or interested in being a parent at all. Uh, and, and I had a bright future ahead of myself. I was a, a almost straight A kind of student. Yeah. I was on honor roll. I was in honors classes. I was going to college and did. I wouldn't have probably been able to do that if I had had to have that pregnancy happen. Yeah, I dropped I was, out my or failed out my last semester of college the first time because yeah. a single motherhood and working full time doesn't and, and do I, well. <laughs> right. And I share that I, I share that about the fact that I was not what so many people view as the typical person who's getting an abortion, a teenage pregnancy, yep. not to shame other folks, but just to say that we are putting a lot of judgment onto teenage pregnancy. That's really unfair. Mm -hmm. We don't know. And I was no more or less deserving of my abortion than anyone else who found themselves pregnant at 17. Yeah. <laughs> I just happened to share that I may not be what people are thinking a 17 year old pregnant girl looks like I was by all measures, a very successful, Same. <laughs> you know, right. Mm -hmm. Child on, on a great trajectory. And I found myself pregnant to think that we are going to that. Like you said, to think that abstinence only is going to work is foolishness, <laughs> absolute foolishness. And I, and how people talk about that with a straight face just boggles my mind. So anyway, I found myself pregnant. I needed an abortion. By the time I found out, I was already somewhere probably around nine, 10 weeks. I was not like tracking my period. I was not looking at my ovulation cycle. Certainly wasn't trying to get pregnant. So the exact, you know, my exact, uh, where I was at exactly wasn't clear to me. I just knew that I was first, it was just, I haven't started my period. Yeah. And at that age, that just starts to lead into, I was panicked. Mm -hmm. But the, even the idea at that age of going to buy a pregnancy test, yeah. Oh no, I know. <laughs> yeah. Right. What if somebody sees me? What if my mom finds out? Like it, I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe this could be happening. I had all of the internalized beliefs as well about who was the kind of person who would get pregnant at 17 and I wasn't that person. Yeah. So how did this even happen? You know, uh, shame, all of it. So I waited a few weeks of just hoping and praying that my period would start and that it wasn't true and not doing anything because I was, I was in fight, fight, freeze. I was in freeze. Mm -hmm. I was frozen with fear. And so that led me to the point of when I finally went and got an appointment at Planned Parenthood, which I already was familiar with. It was a half a mile up the street. It's where I went to get, get my own um, birth control prescription a few years earlier when I started having sex. And so I knew it well. I got, went up there by myself, got the test. When she told me I bawled. Yep. <laughs> And it was, she was very clear that this was not intentional. <laughs> she understood this was not a wanted pregnancy. She laid out my options for me. Very, you know, they did a great job. She was, she gave me all of my options. So the people who think Planned Parenthood is just sitting there telling people, you better not have this kid. That was certainly not the case. They gave me all of my choices. Mm -hmm. And I found out that I was already like 10 weeks pregnant at that point. And in Missouri, it becomes much more difficult to have an abortion and after you go past 12 weeks, what they consider the second trimester.
which is actually a little early for what the second trimester yeah. is. But anyway, so after 12 weeks in Missouri, it becomes an overnight experience and it's a whole, like it becomes an inpatient thing. That's a whole deal. And there was no way that I could do that without my mom, my parents knowing I had done it. Yeah. Like, how was I going to, I couldn't explain that away. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I started to really panic because now I had almost no time because by the time I, when I called to try and get a scheduled abortion in my, in here, I couldn't get it done. And also, even if I could have, they required your parental signature. And oh. I was not, I had a parental permission because I was 17. That was the big problem was I was 17. I had to have parental permission. It was two weeks before my 18th birthday. If I waited to my 18th birthday when I could do it without permission, then I would be into the second trimester where I couldn't just have it be an in and out procedure. So I was in this really difficult position then because now what? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I did not feel comfortable telling my parents. I don't know how my mom would have reacted. My mom's pro-choice. My mom loves me. I know that my mom would have been there for me, but also I had so much shame mm -hmm. and not, not necessarily because of things she had done, but there may be a little bit of that around, you know, knowing that I was sexually active and some of the judgment that came in with that. Yep. But a lot of it was society's judgment mm -hmm. and all of the messaging I received, especially living here in a very Christian Bible belt, red state that I internalized and I had a lot of shame. And the idea of having to talk to my mom, just, I could, I wasn't prepared for her to change how she viewed me because I yeah. knew it would, it would fundamentally forever change how she viewed me. And I wasn't ready for that. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And so I found out that the state directly across the border, I live in St. Louis, which is right on the border with Illinois, that in Illinois, I didn't have to have parental permission to get an abortion. So I made an appointment at a clinic there. It was only half an hour, 45 minutes away. And I was able to go there, have the procedure done that day. And then I had to go to work about oh an hour, God. two hours after. And if anyone's ever had an abortion, or even if you've had a miscarriage, if you understand what that experience is like of your body, of the amount of bleeding that happens, of how emotionally heavy, how physically heavy that whole experience is, you know how difficult that was that I had to go to work and pretend like nothing had happened to me. Because again, of all of the shame, of the, mm -hmm. of the judgment, of the fear, I couldn't take off work. I couldn't do anything. I just knew I had to like make this go away and not let anyone ever know. And I held on to that shame for a very long time, which is to me part of what doesn't get talked about with when we ban abortion or put all of these restrictions around a medical procedure, the shame that we are creating in people for having a procedure that they felt they needed for yeah. their health their physical health, their mental health, their, their well-being, their future. And I had immense shame. If I had had to have a blood transfusion because I was in a car accident, if I had had to have chemotherapy because I had cancer, if I had had to have, you know, even if I had had an elective nose job, I would not have the level of shame mm -hmm. that was given to me around having a procedure that I needed. Yeah. So I carried that for a really long time. And honestly, I only really got honest after um what was that about three years ago when ruth bader ginsburg died and i saw yeah. the writing on the wall when we all start like this has been the writing's been on this wall for a while yeah the election of trump definitely was another time or yeah. such you know all of these different things are happening kavanaugh um and then finally when when ruth bader ginsburg died and amy coney barrett became the presumptive nominee and eventual nominee for the supreme court i was like i, I this is I have to talk about this. 
I cannot let this shame consume me because that shame isn't mine. It was given to me by a society that is going to continue to do this to so many more, far more people now, because now it will be the kind of procedure that has to happen in the shadows. Yeah. And so I decided to speak out, which meant telling my mom. And she was really sad that I didn't tell her then Mm -hmm. that I didn't feel I could. And I I feel experience like that. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel bad about that. And I also have some amount of like regret or just, you know, I don't like to say regret because I don't regret things, but there is a little piece of me that says like, I wish I had had the strength and didn't have the shame that I could have been talking about this for decades instead of now, but here's where we are. And now I want to tell my story because I want people to know the truth about abortion. Yeah. So that is one of my abortion stories, but I have another that I think is just as important to tell because people think that that first story is what abortion looks like. Even if I may not have looked like the traditional person, when they think of abortion, they think of it being a choice, meaning I could have continued that pregnancy, right? Right. They think of it as somebody who's young, dumb, made mistakes. They should, they made their bed, they should lie in it, right? It's that kind of, I think that's the general sentiment that I hear, which is what created my shame about abortion. But here's the, here's the other side of my abortion. And I want to be clear before I share this, that neither of my abortions, in my opinion, are more or less valid. They are equally valid. They were equally necessary. And I will fight to my death and plan to, because of what's going on, to defend both and to, to preserve both. Yes. But I want to share this because I want people to see what is at risk. It's not just that 17-year-old Becky who was terrified and ashamed and did not want to see her entire life trajectory change in a way that would have not been for the better and probably would not have been a good mom. Yeah. <laughs> I want them to not, I want them to see that person and to see Becky who was desperately wanting a baby who had finally gotten to that place in her life where she was in a marriage that felt great, had a career that felt great, was you know where she always thought if I was ever gonna have a kid, that's who I'd wanna be to be a mom, had the patience it would take, had the financial means that it would take, had the support that it would take, and decided to try and get pregnant at an advanced age because that's how long it took for me to get there. Probably fueled a bit by that shame. Yeah. But at 40, I was pregnant and ecstatic and got to tell my mom and my mother-in-law on Mother's Day because it seemed so fitting. It was beautiful, like, oh, it's Mother's Day. I'm gonna be a mother. We've we've been trying for a few months for this. This is so exciting. And that was Sunday. And then on Tuesday, I went in for a regular appointment with my doctor, actually not even planning to have any kind of like gynecological exam, not even really talk about the pregnancy. It was for some other stuff, um, some other issues going on wholly unrelated to the pregnancy. But while I was there, she said, you know, you're 10 weeks, we should be able to hear the heartbeat. Would you like, while you're here anyway, want me to get out the the little device and we can listen? And of course I said, yes, that's so exciting. My husband wasn't with me because it was a not an appointment for the baby. So I didn't think that he needed to take off school, take off work to be there. So I was alone. She got out her little device and couldn't hear a heartbeat. So of course I started to get worried. And she said, don't, don't worry. It's still early. Sometimes we don't hear it at 10 weeks and like, it's not a big deal. We'll just send you in for an ultrasound. I'm sure they'll find it. There may not even be one yet anyway, but you can see the baby. I hadn't had an ultrasound yet. So that was very exciting. Okay, great. I get to go yeah. and have my first ultrasound. Now I'm a little disappointed because my husband's not here. Also a little worried, but mostly not because she's reassured me so much that it's probably totally normal. going to be okay. Went in, had the ultrasound 
And she said, there's no heartbeat. I'm sorry, you've lost the pregnancy. Very matter of factly. And I will tell you quite honestly, it was a less pleasant experience, not just because of the devastation of it, but I mean the, the bedside manner than I experienced at Planned Parenthood for all yeah. those who have such bad things to say about Planned Parenthood. And they'd return me to the doctor who came in and was very you know, apologetic and sorry and felt bad for me. And we called my husband. He came up as soon as he could. Devastation. And then we had to talk about my choices because I had a, I had now a, an embryo, not yet fetus for people yeah. who don't understand that difference either. Not yet a fetus, an embryo that was no longer viable, that was inside my body. And she said, you have two choices. You can wait and hope it passes on its own. Usually they do. It could, might not, but usually they do. And it will be probably painful and really unpleasant. Um, you know, you basically pass it in a toilet with uh, a lot of blood yeah. and some pain, a lot of cramping. And she said she could, there's actually three choices. I could wait for it to happen on its own. She could give me some medicine. So that would, I think my soprostol that would have, uh, that would have made that happen. So that would be the, you know, the medicine version of an abortion, same thing. Yeah. Or I could have a DNC, which is the exact same procedure as an abortion. It's a, I don't remember the dilation and cuterage is what, whatever they say that word is, uh, where they basically just dilate the uterus, scrape out the insides, you scrape out all of the tissue, and then you're done, right? And they put you under, so you are not awake. There's no pain during the procedure. And then you're, you're, you're going to healing mode. So I could avoid the weight. I could avoid having to either take the medicine or have it pass on its own and the pain and discomfort and the sorrow of having to go through that experience. And that was what felt right for me. And that's what's right, what feels right for a lot of pregnant people who have a miscarriage. That procedure and that experience is incredibly common. One in four pregnancies end in a miscarriage or one in four women have a miscarriage. Sorry, didn't mean to say that. One in four women have a miscarriage in their lifetime. That means almost everyone knows someone who has. Some of them pass on their own. Some of them happen so early in your cycle that you almost think maybe it was just a period, right? You didn't realize. But when you get past those first couple of weeks of pregnancy and you're now at 10 weeks, 11, 12, week, 13 weeks of pregnancy, it is not as simple as, oh, I just had my period, I guess, or, oh, well, that, it, it can be painful. Yeah. And when it is a wanted pregnancy, it is a very lonely, very devastating, emotionally fraught experience to have to go through that yeah alone on your toilet it was certainly still emotionally fraught having to go through the medical procedure but i was able to do it in a facility where i knew i would be looked after where my spouse could be there to care for me where the doctors could make sure i was okay where i wouldn't have to experience the actual moment of that evacuation that i would be under and that was what i needed and i am forever forever grateful that i was able to have that procedure that would be a procedure that under most of these laws, including what's about to happen in my state, where I had that procedure a couple of years ago, that would be very questionable. Because yeah. if anyone decides that that person didn't really have a miscarriage, or they, mm -hmm. they somehow created their own miscarriage, that that would now be deemed an abortion. And so providers can't, won't be able to provide that, that service anymore for yeah. fear of ending up in jail because it's, and losing their license. It's a, it will be a criminal act, a felony. You know, not just a misdemeanor, a felony. So they won't be able to do that anymore. And that is absolutely terrifying to me.
Yeah. Both of those procedures were necessary and important and valid, and both would be at risk in what's about to change. And that really scares me. And just as a final note, and then we could talk, sorry to go on a rant. Myself, oh no, you're fine. I also then a year after that procedure had almost a, like a year and a couple weeks had my son and I am now a mom and I love him more than anything. This is the time that I want to be pregnant. I mean, this is the time I want to be a mom. I'm good at it. I'm prepared for it. Mm -hmm. He gets the best possible version of me. And I got to have the life that I wanted because yeah. I was able to make choices. I was able to protect my health and, and my mental well-being and everything else that happened with that second um, following the miscarriage and that abortion. And I was able to protect my life with the first one. Yeah. Um, and so I just, they're both so important. Yeah. And often people bring up the viability, like, cause that's like the crux of their argument, right? Like so many women are killing babies. Cause like, sir, excuse me. It's like less than 5%. I think it's like 1% of abortions happen after viability. And it's typically because the mom's life is in danger, which I'm sorry. Um, and we talked about this because I was very high risk with our twins and we discussed like what would happen if it was the twins or I, like what would happen? And we decided as a couple that my life is more important. I, we can make another baby, right? Um, we cannot replace me and my life is important too. And, and mind you, we have, I have a tubal ligation and he has a vasectomy because I am so high risk. If I got pregnant again, I probably would die. My doctor explicitly told me, do not <laughs> have any more children because you are so high risk. And so say those two things failed, which is like practically non-existent, but not impossible. I would need an abortion because my life is important too. And people don't think about that, but also after viability, the the fetus may die, but you may miscarry. And sometimes women have to carry that around if they can't access that medical procedure for weeks. And, and if anybody could imagine out there, like you've already told people, you, you know, and there's like, congratulations, congratulations. And you have to say, I'm not pregnant anymore. Like I, I'm not, and how painful that would be like for you, how painful it would be to you know, carry around this fetus inside of you, like knowing like there's a, a dead fetus, like just hanging out in there. And I just have to wait. Holy shit. That would be so traumatic. So yeah, that was one of my things <laughs> while you're talking. I'm going to share a very personal story. So I used to have pretty close-minded views about abortion. I'm just going to be really honest. Part of that is the shame. I was fortunately allowed to make a choice with my daughter, um, probably because my mom wasn't allowed to have an abortion with me. And I, she has, she has a lot of strong feelings towards me. Like a lot of like, um, that I ruined her life. She said that, um, by being born. And so she allowed me to make a choice, right? these are your options. You get to make your choice. What I, I, I chose to have my daughter, but that's not the choice for everyone. Um, but I had, to, because of society, because of how people felt, including my parents who my mom, you know, if she had, she, I think it wasn't necessarily, be, it was that the fact that she didn't have a choice, right. She didn't choose me. Like, I don't know if she would have had an abortion with me. She may or may not, but she wasn't allowed to make that choice. And I think that's the distinction is she 
didn't have that option. But anyways, I used to have really close-minded views because of society where I'm from is actually a really red dot in a blue state <laughs> and very close-minded. And um, I will never forget the crux, the moment in time, and I'm going to try not to cry, where my views started to change. So somebody very close to me um, hadn't talked to me in a while. Like we were texting back and forth and like they were very short with me for months. And I went to visit them because, because I'm like, I haven't talked to them. Like, I really want to like, you know, say to them, Hey, what's up? Like, did I do something, whatever? And I, I remember them looking at me and going, I had an abortion and I was like, well, why didn't you tell me I could have been here for you? And, and they go, because I know how you feel about it. And I didn't want to deal with that judgment or shame. It was already hard enough as it is. So this person who I loved dearly, so close to, did not confide in me because I was so close-minded about abortion. This person had to deal with this emotional turmoil on their own because I was such a close-minded individual. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forgive myself for not being there for them because of how I felt. And that was the moment in time where I'm like, I might be wrong about this. Like there's more to this, like this person, like I didn't see her any differently. Right. Like <laughs> it was like, how can I feel this way about abortion? But then somebody close to me, it happens to, and I don't change. Like I, I didn't see them any differently. So like something's here and I need to explore that. And that was the moment it was years ago, years ago. And ever since I have learned and I've listened to stories and, you know, all these things where I'm just like, I was so wrong. I was so wrong to feel that way. And it was society. It wasn't science. They can make a a bunch of cells have a heartbeat and a Petri dish. Okay. Like, this isn't even like, like you said, science doesn't have a definitive time. Um, and a fetus isn't even viable until like 21 weeks. Right. So viability is when they can live outside. Like, so say for anybody listening, so say like the, the woman, uh, or person with a uterus, cause we need to be inclusive here because there are people who don't identify as women that have uteruses as well. Um, but the person with uterus uh, may have a premature birth, but before 21 weeks, there, there's nothing they can do. Like they can't do anything. And even then the chances are, get, very they're low. very slim. And, yeah. and those children typically have some pretty poor health outcomes. So yeah. really you're talking, I mean, that's, that's the very minimum viability. And usually it's more like 22, 24. And even then we're still talking about some really yeah. difficult health health outcomes. So, yeah. We actually talked about that on um, a pre previous podcast episode and I'll, I'll link that up um, where she had um, premature births, um, twins. And um, she talked about how, because they were so premature, how many health outcomes that they have. And, and, and that's not to say that those twins weren't worthy of being alive or anything like that. But you got to realize if, if a fetus is that premature, there is going to be, if they survive, there is going to be some major issues. Um, but yeah, that, 
that was mine. Like it was weird because at 16, I was allowed to make that choice. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say I, I made the choice I did because I saw abortions as anything differently. I, I honestly thought very, very hard about it. Um, and I can't tell you like a specific reason I did go through with it. Um, but it was freaking rough being a teen mom. It was, I was the straight A student. I was doing really well. My trajectory was great. I got into the university. I, I think I always wanted to go to now I'm kind of doubting. It was like, was it me or was it everybody else saying I should go there? I don't know, but being a single mom working full-time, trying to be a young adult, right. Have a, have a freaking social life it didn't work out. And I end up flunking out my last semester of college. Um, so yeah, the, I'm thankful I had a choice, but there are teenagers out there that don't. And they also, this is not even like, this is, shouldn't even be the crux, but they may not even be in a position to be able to do that. Like to, to actually take care. I had, I had my mom who would help me. Some don't, they're going to get kicked out of their house uh, they're going to end up like in really bad situations, but that shouldn't even, that's not even like, we shouldn't even like go into all these reasons. The thing is people don't realize this is not a black or white issue. There's so much gray area. Like, where do you stop with the exceptions? Where, where do you, you know, like, yes, it is. It's a medical procedure. Uh, people with uteruses deserve um, that option in it. And, you know, it, it just, it's heartbreaking, you know, how people have formed their opinions. Mine wasn't religious based. It was societal based. Um, and how they look at people and how they have this stereotype in the head, their head that people were just using it as contraceptives. <laughs> like, I can tell you as somebody who's had that procedure done, that it is, I, it is not a great alternative to contraception. And I don't think anyone beats it that way. And ultimately, I think, you know, it doesn't matter because yeah. it's a, it's a medical procedure. It's a medical procedure. It's a medical procedure. Like, I don't know. I have a hard time sometimes discussing this issue too, because I don't like, I don't feel like I need to validate my yeah. choice. I don't feel like I should have to, I don't feel, feel like I should have to share my story. Like it should just be right. that this is a medical procedure and we treat it like medical procedures and it's between yes. a, a person and their doctor. And that's the choice that you make based on what you right for you, right? Like that's like we do with all other medical procedures. Yes. My husband was able to get a vasectomy. Didn't have to ask me. The doctor never asked if I cared. I didn't have to sign off on it. He just went and he got it done. He was in and out of the day. It was like no big deal, right? If I, I had a friend, in fact, also I'll use her because it's an actual example, who had a very medical, medically necessary reason for needing to have his hysterectomy. And it was a huge ordeal of having mm -hmm. to get her husband to sign off on it. And the doctor's talking about it. And are you sure? And all it, this is about control, which is why I don't like talking. I don't even like to validate or talk about it or like any of it because it shouldn't. I, it, it makes me mad that I have to. Right. And then yet I also feel like I don't want to not talk about it because that's that leads to that problem of people don't share their story, which I get. Yes. And I'm not I don't fault anyone the the way we treat people who do I mean, I can tell you, I've been sharing my story publicly and I have received nasty stuff from pro-life, anti-choice people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I won't use that I mean, word anymore. Forced, forced birthers is forced what I now birthers, want to call them. Yeah, yes. Because very um, few of them actually care once. Right. Once the, you know. 
yeah. months after birth. Like after birth, it's like, yeah, you're pro-life you. until the baby's born. Yeah. Let's cut mm-hmm. uh, funding for SNAP benefits and mm-hmm. uh, let's fight against universal health care. Let's, you know, I'm not paying for your maternity not, leave or your child. I won't give any money to the baby formula shortage. Yeah. I won't oh, let yeah. you feed your baby. That's not so, my right. problem. Right. You should breastfeed yeah. or you shouldn't have had children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So That's I understand why people at. don't share their stories because it's hard. It's really yeah. hard. First of all, it's already an emotionally fraught issue for a lot of, not everyone. And I want to be clear about that too. There are plenty of people who have abortions for whom it is not an, it is, it is not a hard decision, right? And yeah. there are no emotionally fraught issues. For some people though, it is emotionally fraught. And either way, there is a lot of stigma and shame and mm-hmm. vitriol that can come from folks when you do share. So I get why people don't. I do think though that that because we don't talk about this enough, it leaves a lot of folks who might be like you who think like, oh, abortion is just for those people, whoever in your mind those yes. people are, right? And everyone has kind of their own version of what that person is that gets an abortion without realizing, I assure you, I don't care who you are and I don't care how religious your whole family and world is. Yeah. You know people who've had abortions. Absolutely. You know people who've had abortions. Everyone does. It is a common enough procedure that you know somebody who's had an abortion. The same way you know somebody who's had cancer. No one doesn't know someone who's had cancer. Or has you know a mental someone. illness. Right. Yep. You know somebody who's had an abortion. But because we don't talk about it in the same way, we don't feel that same freedom. And I think, you know, like mental illness, a lot of folks may not feel it either because there's so much shame oh, no, and stigma there's there. So much stigma, yeah. So that one's a little different. But like, you know, a lot of times when someone has cancer, they don't feel no one feels like I did this to yeah. myself. Yeah. This is my like there's no shame there. So they'll talk about it. And unfortunately, because of the way society treats people and has the messaging around abortion, a lot of folks will take on that shame. Like this was I'm a bad person. I did this. It's my fault. I did this to myself, that yeah. kind of thing. So they don't talk about it. And then that allows other people to continue their false narrative in their head that abortion's only for those people, whoever yeah. those people are. But it's not. It's for everyone because I know you know somebody who's had an abortion. So that's the reason I'm sharing because I just want to try and even though I like again, I it pisses me off because I shouldn't have to. Yeah. It shouldn't matter. None of the, I shouldn't have to talk about it. It should just be a medical procedure that's covered by insurance and that's a regular part of life. But that's not the case. And so yes. I have to like here I am feeling like I have to fight for I would say my rights, it's still my rights, but I'm I'm not gonna have any more pregnancies. I'm my husband had a vasectomy, I'm in perimenopause, like I'm getting to the end of this whole cycle. Yeah. But I will fight until my my final breath to make sure that those who are coming after me are not having their rights taken away from them, which is what's happening. Yes. It's already happening. I, I can't change that. I wish I had spoken out sooner. I don't have any like belief that me speaking out would have been the thing that would have changed it. But, you know, maybe if more of us had, but here we are and I'm going to fight now with all that I have to say, this isn't okay. This is not okay where we're headed. And it's not just about abortion. It's about control, right? It's, it's a hundred percent about controlling people, othering people and controlling people. Mm -hmm. And that is going to mean that this is not just going to be, it's not just going to stop here. I don't, Alito has told you it will just stop here, but he also told you that he would never strike down Roe and here we are. So he's lying again and they are coming after LGBTQIA rights next. They're going to come after interracial marriage because it's already been mentioned. Yes. Potentially and certainly birth control. So don't you think it's just abortion? Birth controls are IVF because now you have fertilized eggs. Well, IVF is going to be next month in a lot of states, Louisiana, Missouri. I don't know how they could do how the, you know, it's going to be very interesting. A lot of places are going to have that because of the way their laws are written, because there is no clarity around when life begins. 
that a lot of these laws will be so vague and confusing that medical doctors, that doctors won't be able to perform this procedure for fear of penalty, either financial and or actual like (laughs) felony, you know, getting criminal charges because they don't know what the definition is now of what, when is it an abortion? Is giving someone an IUD abortion? Because it could potentially stop a fertilized egg from implanting. That's that's what it does. So that would be, right? Is IVF disposing of the embryos from folks who decide that they don't, that they already got pregnant, they don't want any more children, they have extra frozen embryos left from IVF. Can they no longer dispose of those? It's going to be very interesting. Where is is the line? There is no line. Mm -hmm. And they'll just keep coming after everything. Everything because it is not, you're right. It's about not, it's about control. It is not about saving babies. Actually, for some people, it is an argument against because the trajectory right now is that uh, white people will be the minority in the United States, I think by 2033 or something like in a a decade ish. Um, For some people, that's the reason they don't want abortions because they want to stop that from happening. There well, are people out there. <laughs> that's not just people out there. That's in Alito's decision. If you look at what he said about yeah. having a stock of white babies in this country, that's, I mean, the there. if you really want to have that discussion, yes. <laughs> like yeah. there's no, this is absolutely, I mean, anti-abortion laws have always been and will always be racist laws. That is, the, it is rooted in white supremacy. Yes. And part of that then is also about capitalism, which is also a part of white supremacy. And capitalism relies on having enough worker bees. Yep. And so some of it is not just about protecting white, whiteness. That's part of it, for sure. So if we force more white women to have babies, we're going to have more white babies, and then we can protect whiteness. Also, by forcing more black women to have babies in the world we live in. So please know I'm saying this from the place of this is a racist country that we live in and capitalism is racist, then we're creating more workers because that is also a problem. Because as we are trying to shut off the borders, we don't have enough workers. And that Mm -hmm. is a problem right now that the folks who want to shut off the borders don't have an answer for. Because normally we have enough immigration to continue to have enough workers. We don't have that happening. So where are those workers going to come from? And those racist white folks aren't going to want it to be their kids. They don't want their kids to be the ones working at the, you know, the gas station, the grocery store, the, you know, the fast food restaurant, whatever. Or in the fields, picking strawberries in Florida. Correct. So you can't separate, you know, and that, and I know that's also part of the, part of the reason I hate talking about this as a white woman, especially now, because there are many black women who have known, and I've known, but I've allowed my shame to silence me. Yeah that have known how racist these laws are and have been fighting for their lives for decades. And now a bunch of white women are starting to realize, oh, it doesn't just stop there. And now we're fighting. And that is, I can understand why someone would be very angry that it seems like suddenly all these pussy hat ladies are showing up to the, to the floor going like, hey, this is scary. And it's always been scary. Yeah, It was scary before Roe. <laughs> And it's been scary since, and it has always been scarier for black women and other people of color. You yeah. can't pretend like it hasn't. We live in a, in a very racist world. And so these laws are, it's all about othering, protecting whiteness, yeah. protecting maleness. <laughs> and it, that will continue then too with beyond, beyond row. You know, the next thing I think is probably, I mean, I think 
reproductive rights will continue. So it's also going to be about birth control. But then I think the next thing will be, I think anyone who thinks that marriage equality is going to stand easily, no. if that issue is important to you and abortion isn't, just know <laughs> that if you're you are vote, if you're voting based on this, based on your religious beliefs around abortion, the next thing to come is going to be something else that you might actually value. It might be yeah. your birth control that maybe your religion does allow. It might be your, you know, gay brother and his husband whose marriage may not be valid anymore and you love them. So like we have to think beyond just this one issue that so many people have religious beliefs around that they then are using imposing their religious beliefs on others. And I can understand for someone who holds that as a true religious belief that it has to be a very difficult issue to discuss and to think about and to say like, sure, choice, when I truly in my heart believe it's murder. Like, it's hard for me to get there, but I try to find that empathy. And yes, this must be very difficult. And choice and privacy are issues that go well beyond this singular healthcare issue. And if you care about any of those things, then you gotta fight to protect all of them. You don't have to choose to ever have an abortion. And that's fine. But we also have to be careful about making sure that we're not letting our own personal religious beliefs then affect what everyone else can do because it's not going to stop at abortion. Yeah. And usually I ask, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? But I feel like that is a great, great part to stop, stop it, boy, because I'm like, I mean, there is plenty more that we could add, but uh, <laughs> I'm like, yes. Yes. Um, because I feel like if we start adding more then it's just going to keep going on, not that I want, don't want to keep talking to you, but I actually have a social psych lab meeting. <laughs> well, and I need to go lay down and rest a bit. Yes, for... you do. Well, yeah. uh, Becky, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. And, uh, hopefully it enlightens someone out there and I encourage people to share. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. And whether it changes someone's mind about abortion, I don't know. I feel like that seems like an uphill battle. But if nothing yeah. else, if you have had an abortion and it makes you feel a little courage to share your story, even if it's just with one person, so that more people start to see that they everyone knows somebody who's had an abortion and that it's not just those people. And I'm using air quotes. I hope everybody yeah. can sense air that quotes. every time. <laughs> then that will be amazing to me because I think that may be what it takes. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.